0: when imagination ruled and creativity had no limits. Listen now to WBW Theater. And now, WBW Theater. Welcome to WBW Theater. Listen to a series of radio dramas, comedies, mysteries, thrillers, westerns, all dedicated to preserving the golden age of radio. Those thrilling days of yesteryear, way back when families gathered together around the living room radio to join the theater of the mind. Listen now, as we take you way back when imagination ruled and creativity had no limits. Listen now to WBW Theater.
1: One hour dramatization of Philip Wiley's story of the United States under atomic attack. A tale of two cities. One without a civil defense organization, one with a civil defense organization. Featured in the cast are Mona Freeman and Marshall Thompson, and starred as our narrator is Orson Welles. ABC Radio and the Federal Civil Defense Organization present tomorrow.
2: Orson Welles, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day might bring forth. The Federal Civil
1: Defense Administration is proud to present Orson Welles, Mona Freeman, and Marshall
2: Thompson, starring in Tomorrow, a full one-hour radio drama transcribed about the shape of things that could come to America from the
1: book by the distinguished American novelist Philip Wiley, adapted for radio by Milton Geiger and directed by William Carne. Now, Orson Welles as your narrator, Mona Freeman as Lenore Bailey, and Marshall Thompson as
2: Lieutenant Chuck Connor, in Tomorrow. One man saw it come, actually saw it. Coley Borden saw it. He stood watching it cannonade down the twilight sky to target zero and to end an entire era in human history. There's no memorial over Coley Borden's last resting place. His grave is our atmosphere, where in one split instant his molecules joined the envelope of gases that surround the earth. Perhaps this record of the event written on the air his molecules now inhabit should be his epitome. So be it. Ave Coleybord.
3: It is, the practice alert. Let's go, Dad. Ted, can't you at least finish dinner?
1: Sorry, Beth, you'll have to excuse us.
3: It's Charles' first day home on leave.
1: Oh, I'll be home a month, Mother. Don't make me the heavy if they got to leave. Civil defense has gotten to be a big thing with some of us, son. It's a night
4: out. Instead of just going bowling with the boys.
1: Upstairs, Ted. Ted man's his ham radio during the alert. (laughs) Well, go up and ham your radio, man. Let's go, Dad. I'm not appreciated here. Sorry, Beth. Chuck, see you later.
3: I'm sorry, Charles. <laughs>
1: Why? It's good to see them so interested in something.
3: Then you won't mind about Lenore Bailey.
1: She in it, too?
3: And how.
1: Hey, that dates you, Mom. And how.
3: Are you going to drop in next door and talk to her?
4: Um, any, uh,
1: any dates set for the wedding yet? Not that I know of. Well, maybe I'll just walk past the front porch and uh, whistle for her. Charles Connor, if you dare. I dare. I'm your brave soldier boy.
3: Don't you dare! You're not school kids anymore.
5: <laughs>
1: well, maybe it's too late anyhow. Well, how do you mean? You say she's in civil defense, and how?
5: I didn't hear her back the car out yet.
4: Hmm. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. Will you, ma'am? Learn to
5: back up. Watch it, soldier.
4: Chuck! Not Lenore Bailey.
5: Lieutenant Chuck Connor. What are you doing in town?
1: Lenore well, Bailey, whatever prompted you to leave Mars?
5: Well, if you're referring to my outfit, it's a decontamination suit. Come on, jump in and drive me to CD Sector Headquarters.
1: Well, I don't know what my Earth girls will say, but uh, you're up. else in that decontamination suit would look unbecoming, but uh, on you, it looks
5: awful. <laughs> well, thank you. Now, tell me about you. Oh,
1: best job, intelligence officer.
5: Thanks to your degree in architecture?
4: Uh, tell me about you and Kit Sloan. Well, I guess your mother wrote you when we were engaged. Somewhat to my mild surprise. Oh, well,
5: you knew I always liked Kit. And we dated even when I was dancing around with you. Yeah,
1: Never thought that Kit Sloan would ever get interested in anyone but himself. Oh,
5: that's not fair, Chuck.
1: Of course, you're being officially the most beautiful girl in the sister cities. Might have just appealed to his ego. Well, we won't talk about it anymore. I'm a little surprised, that's all. So was I, remember? And, uh, are you happy inside of that radiation suit?
5: Oh, very much. I majored in science, you know, before I quit college. Is that what you meant, fellas.
1: Lenore Bailey, girl Geigerman. You know what I meant.
5: Oh, here's the high school. Sector headquarters.
2: Minerva Sloan, formidable mother of Kit Sloan, was homeward bound from being formidable at a director's meeting of the Mercantile Trust Company when the practice alert sounded. And it did ill content her. On downtown Central Avenue, traffic was stopped solid, six cars abreast. Cars had stopped, doors had popped open, and people had scurried obediently to the vaulted entries of great skyscrapers and other shelter areas, all except Minerva Sloan. She sat furiously in her limousine, being formidable.
3: Willis. Get us out of this jam at once. I'm afraid I can't, Mrs. Sloan. Then find me a telephone. You're not supposed to use the phone during an alert, ma'am. Are you in league with these doddering adult infants of play? No, 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 ma'am, Mrs. Sloan. Then find a place for the telephone. Holy Borden talking. This is Minerva. Have you put the breakfast edition to bed yet?
1: Minerva, you're not supposed to use the phone during civil defense.
3: foolishness is
1: going to stop, Coley. Why? What foolishness is that? Well, this so-called
3: civil defense. You're to kill the whole thing beginning right now.
1: Minerva, it's been the transcript's policy to back up civil defense in Green Prairie. If you want to spank it, why not do it across the river, since River City doesn't have civil defense anyway. Minerva?
3: I'm here, but I'll be there. Don't leave. Minerva! Uh... a busy woman, Coley, and when I want to get home after a hard day, I want to relax with my guests and on time. But just suppose... Two of the biggest cities in the Midwest tied up for two hours, and River City, an innocent bystander at that, at the evening rush hour of all times.
1: At the evening rush hours is when a bomb is most likely to happen.
3: Coley, do you know what I think? I think civil defense is communist-inspired. Oh,
6: Minerva, for heaven's sake. Terrorize
3: people about a bomb attack while they're completely diverted and weakened in their effort to wipe out dangerous radicals right here at home.
6: Now, wait a minute, Minerva.
1: Isn't it the other way around? If you were an enemy, wouldn't you rather see us neglect our atomic defense? You bet you would. Because in a few years, you'd be in a position to say to us, Okay, bums, you've had it. We've got weapons you haven't got any answers for. So now you sit still while we
6: give all the orders.
3: Coley, how are your sweet wife since the accident?
6: <sighs> She's moving around pretty fair now.
3: But... Then I won't have to replace you, will I, Coley? <sighs> I'm sorry you have to stay late. But make it strong, Coley. Bye-bye. <clears throat>
2: Sixteen hurt in CD alert, the breakfast banner lines yammered. Sister cities paralyzed. Outrageous and unnecessary, say River City Solons.
5: Air raid sirens sending thousands cowering into shelters, keynoted at 6 p.m. yesterday. The onset of a great rush hour fiasco in which... Sixteen were injured and unestimated damage done to property. How can they say a thing like that in times like this? It's
6: a free country. And a free
5: press, I may add. Your boss, Minerva Sloan, decides how free the transcript is.
6: I wouldn't say that. Banking's Minerva's racket.
5: Well, I'm going next door. What for? What for? Well, Henry Connor went to college with Coley Borden. Maybe he can talk to Mr. Borden about civil defense. Mm, won't do a bit of good, baby. I'd rather you didn't see Chuck Connor, Lenore. Oh, don't worry about Chuck, Mother. He understands about me and Kit.
6: Well, he's got to admit Kit Sloan's one... Don't
5: start anything now, Bruce. It's not starting anything, Mother. What do you mean, don't start anything? Now, what are you getting worked up about? Look... I'm marrying Kit Sloan because I want to. I got that perfectly straight. And not to, to bail the Bailey family out of any difficulties it's in. So there's nothing that Father can say that will change my mind about Kit. He can't start anything. I'm going next door to talk to Mr. Connor.
6: You, uh, shouldn't have told her about me, Netta.
5: All I said to Lenore was that marrying Kit Sloan would help out her old man an awful lot.
6: Did you say anything about the bank at all?
5: No, I, I told you. I, I said you were in a little financial difficulty. A little.
6: Five grand, that's all. Oh, how did I know old John Jessup would be back to his deposit box before the first of the year? If Minerva hadn't made up the shortage, you know where I'd be, don't you?
3: I know where you'd
5: be if Minerva's boy wasn't marrying Lenore. So don't start anything with Lenore.
6: That's uh, a dirty trick on her.
5: She's making the best match in Green Prairie. You heard her. She loves Kit. She wants to marry him. She isn't doing it for you at all.
6: Dirty, lousy, low-down trick.
5: You can say that! After all the trouble me and Minerva went to to settle this thing...
6: <laughs> Minerva and you. Her folks owned the railroad that you were the wrong side of the tracks from. <laughs> now all of a sudden, pals!
5: <laughs> Bruce Bailey, I believe you're drunk at breakfast. So? Oh, stop
1: here, kid. Just to turn around the block, huh?
5: I'm expected at the meeting, kid. I'll be late.
1: Oh, look, I hardly get to talk to my fiancé. Why do
5: you have to go to this meeting? Ask your mother. It's a protest meeting over the story in the transcript this morning. Uh, I'll be rough on mother. She likes you. Why?
1: She admires a fighter. Thinks think she would be wonderful for me. I'm 33, you know. I'm getting on. I, I never told you the catechism she put me through when I said I was interested in you. Oh? Grandparents' long live. how many children, state number of male heirs, how many living, etc., etc. All mothers determined to keep the Sloan line alive.
5: Does she reckon on the even chance it'd be a girl?
1: She reckons on your persistence.
5: I'm not sure I like that.
1: Well, I'm not always sure you like me.
5: I'm a little upset over that news article today.
1: And not because Chuck Connor is home on leave, the lad next door.
5: No, not at all.
1: What does he do in uniform?
5: Intelligence. Desk oh. job, huh? He was too young for service in the war. Perhaps he'd have won a pound of medals just like you.
1: Do I talk about it?
5: Oh, I'm sorry.
1: For dinner tomorrow? Mm
5: -hmm. Six o'clock. Okay, it's a deal. Oh, stop here, Kit. This is it.
2: Kit Sloan didn't talk about his medals, but he was deeply sensitive about them, having ridden the best horses and the fastest cars. Mm He had felt an affinity for the Air Force during the war, but when the first Nazi bullets began to shred the delicate tissues of his fighter plane, he died clear, leaving two wingmates exposed to a fate which both soon met heroically, and leaving no one to expose his cowardice. Happily for him, his group was assigned to the interception of buzz bombs. Buzz bombs were dangerous, but they didn't shoot back at a man with personal malice. If you had the correct reflexes, as Kit Sloan did, you survived. Kit became quite a hero, in fact. To everybody but Kit Sloan, who knew the truth. At the civil defense meeting in Henry Connor's sector... It was moved, seconded, and passed. But Henry Connor, who knew Coley Borden closely, talked to Coley Borden about that damaging story in the transcript, just in case Coley wasn't entirely under the iron thumb of Minerva Sloan. And I'm
1: worried, Coley. No turnout at all at the protest meeting. People are quitting civil defense. I'm sorry it disturbs you, Hank. It disturbed me because I begin to doubt myself and what I'm doing. I wonder, are we wrong... Should we bother to go on? And am I personally doing anything worthwhile? Are we, Coley? Am I? Uh, Don't ask me, Hank. I am asking you. Are we making sense with this CD thing? I've got to know, Coley. I'd hate to look foolish. You're asking me, Hank. If I were you, I'd let hell freeze over before I'd quit. Why? Because people like you are the only life insurance left to this country. That's why. The other guilt-edged policies have all run out. First, the friendship of the other great powers, then our lead on the bomb. Gone. We'll say just that in the transcribe. I I can't. (laughs) Well. Nice view of the city from this window, Coley. Terrific skyline. Big, blustering, beetling, beautiful. You've been reading Carl Sandburg. All I can do is just look and think of how better men than I am built all that out of the prairie. It kind of makes a small lump in my throat. But I suppose that's me. Nothing the matter with you, Henry. I'd sure hate to think that White Plains and Kings Mountain and Valley Fords were a waste of those early people's valuable time and blood. Sure hate to think Gettysburg and Shiloh and Cold Harbor just so some bum with an airborne hot rod and a gift of grab could take what Americans fell dead to give us. I think those game fellows in knee pants who signed the paper July 4th, 1776 didn't risk stretching their necks just so we'd blow it because a traffic jam inconvenienced somebody. Why don't
7: you go home, Hank? Sure, Coley. A beautiful view from your window.
6: I hope it stays.
2: It was a magnificent view from Coley's window. From where he stood, Coley could see to the Atlantic seaboard in the year of our Lord, 1620. He could see himself as a small, starry-eyed kid chanting in school assembly that the breaking waves dashed high on the stern and rock coast. Yeah, the landing of the pilgrims. And all the stupendous pageant from ocean to ocean thereafter. Once, his thoughts were scattered but urgent and piercing. Once, as a young man, he'd reached through the iron pickets and plucked a violet from Jefferson's grave. It was in college. Henry'd been along. He'd remember it. Totally had told Hank, I like to think that the molecules
1: of fragrance from this violet are mixing right in with the molecules of the Brent Jefferson drew or Lincoln. They're all around us, you know, molecules that people breathe from the start of time.
2: Or that Yankee Doodle breathed or Johnny Red. Billy Yank, or more lately, G.I. Joe, once breathed. Hank's right. The view changed. A fair plain lay beneath, and on it, wheeling Sioux Indians besieged a circle of white Conestoga wagons, seeking the Abenakis River and a nation. The view changed. Now frontier, Fort Abenakis lay below, and a delicate double beating of blue would be where the 9th United States Cavalry sorted to hold the precarious foothold in the plains where the two cities would rise. Sorted, in fact, all the way to Bellow Wood, the bulge the outposts of the world, holding the nation. For some view. Coley Borden went back to his desk and sat home. Pretty soon began typing.
5: We, the people of America, have for more than a decade refused to face our real fear. We know the world could end. Several nations have perfected instruments which make that ultimate doom more likely. Drink your orange juice, Lenore. We have relied on ancient instruments of security while leaving relatively undefended and unarmed the targets of another war. Our cities. Oh, this is great. This is absolutely stunning. Farmers dig cyclone cellars and rod their barns and ground their aerials against the wild wind and the lightning. We set up levees against floods, engines against fire, police against crime. What of the peril of world's end, honey? Your orange juice. We face the age of radioactivity, the blast of neutrons, the killing solar fires with pea shooters and squirt guns. To the shattering facts of fission and of fusion, reasons. we the answer with
1: popular, popular indifference, indifference or apathy. Ten years have gone by. We could, at vast expense, to be sure, have decentralized our cities. We didn't. We could, at great expense to be sure, have built mass shelters to save hundreds of thousands of lives. We didn't. We could, at least and cheaply, have learned to empty our cities swiftly. We didn't. The dislocation of human beings, the drills, and the inconveniences were held to be intolerable by a nation bred in dislocation and in hardship. Now the sands of a decade are run out. Wow. Strong stuff. It's terrifying. Well, it's time it was. What else, Chuck? Now we cannot challenge a powerful and ruthless enemy without venturing world's end. Quite possibly our death notice is written. Perhaps Perhaps a few few years. years. Perhaps Perhaps a a few few months. months Further along the orbit of this disenchanted planet.
4: That will do, Kit. That's the
1: final paragraph, Mother. Then our flight from reality and from the ideals of our founders will get this globe of ours torn to hot flinders spinning gases. To us citizens of Green Prairie, this promise of inferno poses a simple question: What new folly can you dream up with your coffee, your grapefruit, your first cigarette to keep yourself a while longer from facing the truth?
3: Some powerful writing there. Oh, oh boy, I tell you, the C B A sure got it. Finish your coffee, dear, then hand me the telephone. <laughs>
1: Coley Borden talking.
3: Coley, darling.
1: Minerva, how are you this morning?
3: You're fired.
1: Minerva! Hello!
2: October. A cold wind from Saskatchewan and Manitoba smelling of snow and musk cake. Chuck Connor's leave was open. He drove with Lenore into the moonlight they park near the river, murmurous with history and the ancient dreams of long-silent pioneers.
5: Remember how we used to park here after our high school dances? Yeah. This seemed like the place to talk to you, Chuck. I want you to understand about me and Kit. Oh, it's okay. I don't It know. isn't okay. It's the way it is, that's all. In high school... Fine. You were my guy. But school day, sweetheart, seldom marry. You know
1: that. I am also broke. I know that. I won't be out of the army for six months. I know that. And architecture is long and time is fleeting and the girl is 24 years old has to look around. But in a year, we have a little house in Edge Plains. Would I like that? Well, not every single minute
5: of it, but it's a start. I'd hate it. Why? A crummy little box in a row with several dozen exactly like it. Filled with several dozen young wives having babies that they weren't quite ready for. Oh, it's no good, Chuck. Look around for a plainer girl with some real character.
1: You quit college that you love because you haven't got any character? Quit so you could come home to try to help your parents keep their lives together? No guts, you're telling me? You need me terribly. Will you have to bail him out by marrying a man you don't love?
5: I don't know that I don't love him, Chuck.
1: I know how much you know, Lenore.
5: If I fail Mother and Dad now, they'll be gone completely. Drinking too much, fighting and insulting each other wretchedly, and insulting the life they gave me. I can't stand that, Chuck. It's it, sordid, yes. But maybe I can save something out of it for them. I, I don't know, Chuck. I'm the only chance.
1: You and Kit Sloan.
5: Why do we have to live and compromise all of our lives?
1: For God, for country and for Yale, I guess. Oh, Chuck,
5: please don't talk like that.
1: Shine on, shine on harvest Moon.
5: Chuck. I might not see you again for. Would you like to kiss me goodbye?
1: I'd be scared to.
5: Yes. All right, take me home.
2: The Colonel of the Texas Air Force Base waited until the still faced men at the conference table could hear him. Assistant Intelligence Officer Charles Connor was at the table in the absence of Major Pryor. As you all know, contrails have been spotted for years over Alaska and Canada. We've known
1: for a long time that the enemy has reconnoitered our northern defense perimeter. Lately, photographic evidence places them over the United States. Have there been any contacts, sir? None of our interceptors has ever gotten up fast enough for a good look. I have in this briefcase, gentlemen, secret orders for a new friend or full recognition pattern. Using that, we're to keep our eyes open, photograph everything we see, and when and if you can overtake it. Fire on it. The bombers can go up and stay up and cruise up there. Bombers are to do the job. That's
2: all. Late November. Harvard versus Princeton. Ohio State versus Michigan. Thanksgiving. On the calendar, late November. On the timetable of the enemy, X day, minus 30. It was a beautiful, a priceless morning. Chuck was home again, home for Christmas. The knowledge of Chuck's nearness next door and his irredeemable finness once she gave Kit Sloan a date of the wedding brought a surge of decision and desperation upon Lenore Bailey. On that cut crystal last Saturday morning before Christmas, she faced her weak, scheming mother and her weak, negligible father, whom she loved, and told them. <laughs>
5: what You're saying, I do know. I can't help it.
6: No, now don't that. sit
5: there wringing your hands, Bruce. Listen to her once. I
6: heard her. It's her life, Netta.
5: It's all our lives. Don't give me that groupie talk. You're going to marry Kit Sloan, Lenore, and that's it. I can't marry someone I don't love. Do you know what you're saying? I mean, do you know what it means to your father? I don't know. I, I-, I think so. I don't know, but, but isn't Eddie but, Lenore? Your father gambled away $5,000 at the track and tried to make it up at the bank, and the nervous loan caught on. Oh, no. These gamblers were threatening him, and they'd have killed him if he didn't pay up.
6: Oh, no, I don't think they'd have gone that far, Netta.
5: What do you mean you don't think they.
3: You lifted Jessup's bonds, didn't you? Oh,
6: sure, but I don't think they. Then they'd why have did
5: gone... you need $5,000 to heart if you didn't think
3: they'd? What kind of a line was it, then, you were handing me?
6: What line?
3: Are you insane? I don't know. You tell me. Stop it. Stop it.
5: Leave him alone. Let it go, can't you? Let it drop as just plain, simple, clean, old, grand theft. Keep it clean, shall we? Look, Lenore. I know Minerva Sloan now. Minerva feels even an unsuccessful marriage would be good for Kit, if you know what I mean. Get him on his way. Get him started on his responsibilities. Then, if it isn't working out, break it up. For years, Minerva's been hoping and praying Kit would get interested in someone to marry him, and you were it. Maybe you don't understand, Mother. $5,000. Otherwise, it's five years for your dad. More. All right. I set the date. Nobody else. When I'm ready and not before. Is that clear?
2: Chuck Connor avoided Lenore by crossing the river to visit Ruth and Jim Williams in River City with the family. Ruth was Beth's sister, surprised in middle life with a new baby. Which, plus the season, occasion to visit. Ruth... Wise with surprised motherhood. Had solemn theories about
7: matters now.
3: Honestly, Henry, I don't mean to hurt you, but... But I just think this alarmism or whatever is bad for the country's nerves. It's certainly bad for the children. Oh, I don't see it, Bruce, and I've had a couple more children than you have. I see
1: it, Mother, but I don't hold with it. In these days of homemade psychiatry and everybody his own expert... You're not supposed to acquaint children with the dangers of our world. Don't be bitter, Charles. Bitter isn't the word, Jim.
5: Rorschach tests show how talk of the bomb upsets school children. What did the
1: pioneers tell their kids, I wonder? That there really weren't any Indians? Go out, Roger, and Prudence, get your bitsy scalps peeled off. The whole thing is silly. War is unthinkable now. Well, I can think of it, and if I can, some people with worse intentions can too. You, you're an army man. The army has to be alarmist to get its cut of the budget. That's why we've been caught badly unprepared in two great wars, because we're alarmist? Why?
3: Oh, it's such a beautiful day. I don't think it's the day or the season for such an argument. Nobody's
1: arguing. I just don't think it's. I'll get it, dear.
2: It was for Henry He took it in the bedroom Hello? Henry, where the devil you been?
1: I've been here, you found me, didn't you? I've been trying for a half hour This is C.D. headquarters There's a condition yellow What? You heard me I've got to break off Report at once to sector headquarters with full equipment What is it? Is it real? I'll say it's real. Get with it, fella. Chuck? Yeah, Dad? Can I see you in here a minute? Yeah, coming. Dad, you're white. That was headquarters, son. There's a condition yellow.
4: Condition yellow?
1: Do you believe it? Boy, you've got to believe it. Where's Ted? Outside tinkering with Jim's car. We'll pick him up on the way out. Well, tell the others it's a practice alert. We'll try and look natural now,
2: will you? They waited waist-high through protest and ridicule to get outside, collect Ted, and get into the car. Then they stepped on it. Chuck dropped Ted at home, to man the ham radio, and left his dad at headquarters and went on to Hink Field, outside of town, to report for duty.
6: Well, people... Maybe Minerva Sloan's transcript didn't murder civil defense in Green Prairie after all. It's a fine turnout. Give Coley Borden some credit. Well, it's a fine turnout and a good thing, too, because this is definitely it. The northern defense perimeter reports a large flight of long-range bombers somewhere over Canada at 600 miles per hour or better. Figure it out for yourselves. And thank God we're only a class-two target area. Man your post. Get cracking.
1: Station W00CDJ calling W00TKC. Are you there, Ted Connor? Come in, old man.
4: Connor here. W00TKC. Come in, W00CDJ. Over.
6: Pittsburgh and Detroit have been hit. New York and San Francisco don't answer. Inform your sectors. This is it.
4: Stand by, W-00-C-D-J. I have a call. Hello? What
1: are you here, son?
4: I've got headquarters. Pittsburgh and Detroit are gone. New York and San Francisco don't answer.
1: Good God. Is Mother home yet? I don't think so. Report to HQ. My sector is about 45% mustard. Doctors and surgeons are being the worst. We hope they're following the plan and leaving town, but we're not hearing about it. You got it?
4: Got it. Why don't they let go with the sirens?
1: That'd be condition red. Enemy plane's actually headed for
4: us. This is a yellow. W00TKC. Reporting in Sector Warden Henry Connor. 45% of all available personnel mustered.
2: Six jet fighters were taking off from Hink Field when Chuck Connor showed his pass and was passed into operations. It was very still in operations. The field staff looked silently at the big map with the little flags on it. A civilian was Harvey Garrett, Civil Defense Director for Green Prairie. General Boyce spoke. Gentlemen, now appears that a smaller assault wave is approaching from
1: the south. Note that it seems to have broken into three parts. Nothing is yet coming our way. Thank God for that. So far, Mr. Garrett. General Boyce, the scarlet flags on San Francisco, Detroit, New York, and Pittsburgh, what do they signify, sir?
2: H-bombs. Some of the attacks were made and will be made by guided
1: missiles launched from the air and homing on the cities. Now, their range exceeds our radar range of 200 miles, which would allow us a condition read for only a matter of minutes. Something for the civil authority to think very hard about, Mr. Garrett.
4: Our downtown area is jammed with shoppers. A condition red would sign the death warrant of thousands. Sound the siren and they panic.
2: It's up to you, Mr. Garrett. We'll wait. The room was still again. All eyes were on the map and on Lipton at the communications board. Silence. Not a sound. The last of the fighters had departed some never to return. Over the entire continent, the sky was peopled by young Americans and their dying enemy. After the first half hour, the young Americans, the sophomore college fullbacks, the Marowills, the hot pilots, the forlorn hopes, didn't bother to fire their rockets. When they saw a red star, they dived and they died, knowing that they'd struck at a target which no man could afford to miss. An entire fire company ground and tore and ricocheted south, heading out of town to be intact and available if Holocaust arrived from the sky, following the doctors and nurses out of town to safety and to be in reserve. Netta Bailey found it disturbing. Additionally disturbing, on top of having Lenore back from the beauty shop, where headquarters had finally reached her with a cryptic message about yellow goods which had sent her flying home.
5: Well, no, you're doing this to annoy me, I know. Sure, Mother. But keep the radio on, that's all. You're not going to cut a party and break a date with Kit Sloan for any fool alert. Well, I am as soon as I get the suit zipped. Oh, that idiotic, ugly radiation suit. And that silly box. They're not fit for a young woman. This silly box is a gamma survey meter. And it's as silly as a sailor learning to swim. Get out of that suit this minute and fix your hate. Listen to me, Mother. This is an official alert. We're to report with full equipment, and I'm late as it is. Keith will be furious. Well, that'll make two of you. Well, (laughs) what'll I tell him? To keep the radio at 6.40 or 12.40 for emergency instructions.
3: Good morning, Mr. Bailey. Good morning,
6: Minerva. What's the
3: matter with everybody? All the tellers
6: look bilious. Is this a bank or a clinic? And There's a yellow alert. The most terrific rumors. Enemy planes everywhere. Big cities not answering calls. I just had lunch at the Ritz, and there was absolutely no sign of any such nonsense. Well, nobody's supposed to know yet, but it's official. Preposterous. Oh, yeah, well, look at TV. They go through the motions, but nobody looks natural. They know, I bet. Just look at the TV. I will.
2: She did. Automata simpered at her from the screen. A premonition of horror seized her. They they
3: do look odd. Oh, silly, I'm going home. I'll telephone
6: you. She can drop dead. I'm going home. I'm the head of a family. Coley Borden, former
2: managing editor of the transcript, presently unemployed, Took the elevator to his old offices in the Sloan building. He had a small Christmas gift for his former secretary. The smell and the sounds were fondly remembered. But there did seem to be something wrong with everybody. Where Chuck Connor stood by in operations at Hank Field, Lipton at the communications panel handed up a note to General Boyce. Gentlemen. Three planes, four-engine turboprop bombers, now diverted from main wing. Green Prairie, River City, probable destination. Approach in sector 209, 209. And the enemy bomber
1: carrier is probably equipped to launch medium-range missile. We're in for it, sir? Mr. Garrett, you're the director of civil defense in Green Prairie. Condition wrecked. May God have pity on them. Um. Take cover.
3: Take cover. Take cover. <laughs> <laughs> Nada, where are you? Turn off the gas. What's the matter with you? Turn girls. off the gas. It's a red alert. Condition red. Turn off the gas.
5: Did you turn off the gas? Well, the last pamphlet Lenore gave me said not to, I think. Why? Why?
6: It's condition red. It isn't practice. It's the bomb. The bomb is coming.
4: Oh my God, no. Turn off the gas anyway. I'm going for water or something. <laughs>
2: In River City, where there wasn't any civil defense, Jim and Ruth Williams barely heard the sirens from across the river. Where there was civil defense.
3: What do you think, Jim? Well, what about? There wasn't anything in the paper about a practice of you see. Turn on the radio. Hmm?
1: Well, let's see, uh, six forty or twelve forty, wasn't it?
3: Maybe I should get the baby. I know she's sleeping,
5: but Chuck seems so sold on the possibility.
6: Chuck, he's army,
7: dear. They've got to be sold. And
6: I repeat, this is Connelrad. This is not a practice, not a drill. A condition of confidential alert.
7: There it was.
2: Incredible and shattering. Connelrad, the emergency broadcasting system, with the authenticity of an organized nightmare, was saying evenly that the atom was on the way. Homing on Green Prairie and River City.
5: Dear Father in Heaven.
2: And what would the Founding Fathers say? What, O Lord, against the fury of the sun and the cosmic technology of the ruthless and the despot availeth us the Kentucky rifle, the musket? What availeth that declaration which we fashioned on July 4th, 1776 in Congress assembled? What availeth it the sword against the lightning Baby. baby I don't believe it with the siren the editorial offices of the transcript had emptied in a wild brouhaha panicked exit Coley Borden stood alone looking out of the window of his former office bemused he looked down at the ants in the street in an antial upheaval People were already beginning to die down there. Just as they were beginning to die in the crush of the stairwell behind him. The streets were packed solid with cars and trucks. And people were running across the tops of the sideened autos to get out of there. He saw a tiny purple doll of a young woman fall. And a hundred people instantly using her body as a step to the tops of the cars. Here and there a round Scarlet Blob was a department store Santa Claus clawing for his life. The siren moaned to stillness. But there was no peace. From the street came a continuous shriek of thousands of men, women, children slowly dying. Slowly being broken to bits. The fused, clotting outcries of many agonies rising as one hideous cry. Coley Borden closed his eyes. It's no good closing his ears. He opened his eyes again and saw it. It came slanting down toward him. The long, slim, steely, monstrous dot cannonading down the sky to target zero.
7: There it is.
6: Light. Unimaginable blaze.
2: Filling the sky. Shadows piercing. Strident. Hellish. Light. Universes exploding. Fire stars in collision. Blinding. Species. Super solar. Incandescence, with the universal incandescence that melted the skyscrapers, dissolved their steel bones, plummeted their stone carcasses into the buckling streets. Miraculously emptied now of its frenzied crowds, beyond the land was in convulsion, surging with heat and twisting avalanches of blast. At zero was zero. A flat, blinding desert of incandescence. Over it, glowing a toxic lavender and orange, the fireball raced upward, up, over the ghosts of the Cheyennes, the Sioux, and the United States Cavalry, and ancient struggle, the buffalo and the hungerers, and the long, long lines of covered wagons, seeking nation. Henry Connor, at wrecked sector headquarters in the outskirts of town Got up groggily Bricks still cataracted into the schoolyard People moved People didn't Two men in white tin hats weaved toward him
1: I'm all right See who's alive
2: hint of danger, Kit Sloan had circumspectly tooled his sports car into the country and opened her up. The city was far behind him when the light seared the sky. He didn't know that Minerva, his goddess mother, lay with both legs broken and that she was being wheeled to an aid station in a cement-crusted wheelbarrow. Astonishingly, Civil Air Patrol already had planes in the air, assessing the damage directing the rescue. Astonishingly, things lived, thought, acted. Incredible. caught Ruth Williams at a window. She was almost unhurt. The new baby caught a pound of glass in its back and was a tatter in Ruth's arms. Jim was out looking aimlessly for a doctor and soaking up radiation that would make Ruth a quietly crazed widow in two weeks. Lieutenant Charles Connor assigned to auxiliary police duty on a weapons carrier found his dad in his sector, and they took time to share a cigarette.
1: Last I heard, the District of Columbia was just a white-hot saucer. What about... The president is dead. Yeah. Most of his cabinet, most of Congress. We were lucky. Los Angeles County, a, a bowl of hot gravel. Nothing. We'll be looking at old movies for a long time. He shot a couple of looters. Poor guys. Probably out of their heads. Lenora's dad was one of them. Bruce? Oh. I didn't know until after. It was almost as though he,
4: he wanted to be shot.
2: A hurricane draft whooped and galloped through the shambles tearing apart tottering houses, knocking over the weak and injured, thundering toward the firestorm, raging in the center of town. A titanic solar fire rose a thousand feet into the sky at target zero. The terrible solar firestorm that nothing could stop. The city roared like a volcano and the night shook with the frenzy of that monstrous apocalypse of flames. It was this fire sucking in cubic miles of air every second to feed it that drew that wild gale galloping and hooting through the desolate city for its rendezvous it with a universal combustion. The wild wind plunged toward the fire to its destruction. The wild mob plunged away from it. For here it was. Here was the gigantic panic... Uncontrolled. hideous That the experts were sure could never happen.
4: No, no, don't
1: answer. Sir. They're wild. I, don't. They'll kill you for just a glass of water. Well, you can't be sure. Might need help.
2: No, please don't. I'll get my shotgun just in case. Kit Sloan had stopped at a farmhouse. The gas tank was almost empty. The farmer and his wife and three fresh-looking daughters were scared but
7: hospitable.
2: But... Yeah, yeah, I hear you.
7: What may I be doing for you, friend?
1: No! I told you! Come on, boys, help yourself! Oh, my no, wait. Look, uh, you men move on. This is a private home, you... You've done murder. Now go on, move on, I say. Go on. Shall we let him have it, fellas? No. no!
2: No! Kit didn't even stop with the dead farmer's gun. He just wanted to get away. He was peeling off again. Never mind the women in the farmhouse.
8: Escape. I read! It. Get that jerk! <laughs>
2: flame had squirted once from a truck parked darkly on the highway. And once was enough. Overhead, a helicopter windmill toward the shambles. Under the civil defense crash plan, food was being flown in. Parachuted down and more commonly. Every trained person who could help was pouring into the sister cities. Food, medical supplies, men, wax, and even waves... Communications and signal people, doctors, nurses. The Mars man, bizarre in a yellow radiation safe suit, was an Earth girl named Lenore Bailey. Weighted down with instruments that clicked, uh, that waved, needled wildly. He moved in ahead of men who were cautious only because they wanted to live long enough to find their friends and neighbors, dead or alive.
8: <laughs>
2: On a little mountain outside of Charlottesville, Virginia, several men gathered in a large and famous shrine. It belonged to a former president. The house was Monticello on Thomas Jefferson's beloved Little Mountain. The new president who had just taken his oath spoke solemnly to the remnants, his cabinet,
7: of the Congress of the United States. Gentlemen, three possibilities face us. The first is surrender. Second, we can continue our assault on the enemy. I assure you he is suffering severely. In time, our effort may be as effective as his own. Meanwhile, his assaults will continue. In the end, civilization itself may be ended. There is a third alternative. For years, a United States fleet submarine has been in readiness, converted to the most immense thermonuclear bomb ever assembled. She is at this moment lying submerged in the North Sea awaiting orders. The... Detonation of this appalling weapon would utterly devastate the enemy. It involves grave risks, but against these is the certainty of world domination by a single despotic power. Now, this is not a decision to be reached out of sheer vengeance or death agony. We must decide quickly how much we esteem the world we live in and how courageously we'll face the controversy that will rage about this decision to the end of history. Now, think, gentlemen.
2: They could have seen it from the planets. If there were eyes on Mars, they could have seen it without aid. In a split second, the Gulf of Finland evaporated. The dust and the debris of the enemy was flung to the euros and beyond. Some of the American cities came back. Green Prairie came back. Some, like River City, were abandoned scar tissue on the land. Speechless monuments to improvidence. They say half of the dead might have lived. They say half of the terribly maimed and burned might have been unscathed. They were told.
7: They didn't listen.
2: Sleep, my one. Ruth Williams still believes that it is that perfect gem quality Saturday morning before Christmas. But the baby is in her arms. And the gym has just stepped out for a few cans of cold beer. And we'll presently be back. Ted is thinking of entering medical school. I wonder should he get married, though. Lenore already is married. Mrs. Charles Connor faces the aftermath of Armageddon, like the women who came to the River Abenakis in covered wagons.
5: Dr. Lister says that a quarter of the babies by raid mothers don't quite make the grade. I'm afraid I caught some of the irradiation, Chuck.
1: Yeah. Well, 75% is passing.
4: Sure.
2: What, O Lord, against the fury of the sun and the cosmic technology of the ruthless and the despot availeth us the Kentucky rifle, the musket, and the naked faith and valor of our forefathers? What availeth that declaration which we fashioned for freedom in July 1776 and our lives jeopardy? What availeth it these sacrifices and the sword of yesterday against the lightning of tomorrow?
7: Civil Defense
1: Administration is grateful to Orson Welles, Mona Freeman, and Marshall Thompson for contributing their services to this transcribed program. It also wishes to thank Philip Wiley for permission to dramatize his novel, Tomorrow, which was published in the hardback edition by Reinhardt and Company and in the softback edition by Popular Library. The radio adaptation was by Milton Geiger. Our director was William Carnes. Original music was composed and conducted by Albert Harris. Cornwell Jackson produced, your announcer, James Wallington.
0: Join us again as we bring you exciting thrills and adventure, rip-roaring comedy, and shoot-'em-up westerns and gangbusters. Next time, when your imaginations will be invited into the Theatre of the Mind with WBW Theatre. Join us again as we bring you exciting thrills and adventure, rip-roaring comedy, and shoot-'em-up westerns and gangbusters. Next time, when your imaginations will be invited into the Theatre of the Mind with WBW Theatre.